Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, this year we've been doing a lot of Grammys coverage. Uh, I think because there have been songs and artists that I've been really interested in. Music that has captivated me. Yeah. And this week we're going to talk with one of the nominees for Best New Artist, Kay Trinata. Kay Trinata is really inspiring. Like so many other artists in this category, he's not a Best New Artist. He's been doing this for a long while building this career and getting a lot of recognition literally moving from making beats in his mom's basement to making beats with collaborators like pharrell and anderson pock sid madlib recently announced he's got two tracks coming with madlib very cool and he's done work for mary j blige alicia keys chance the rapper kendrick lamar and madonna yeah yeah but i think the first time that i heard kate Trinata was when you played me his track at our weekly team meeting Yeah, I think there were probably four weeks in a row where I was just suggesting everyone listen to different tracks from 99.9%. That album is going to be on my end of decade list for sure. Mm. There's something uh, about the way that Catronata uses samples that just rocks me to my core. Mm. And I feel a certain kind of kinship in a way because... You know, I'm a music historian. Right. And I feel like at his best, Catronata is making a statement that DJs and producers are music historians themselves. What do you mean? Like, break that down for me. Let's take a track from 99.9% like Light Spots. <laughs> I remember when you first played this for me, it was instantly hypnotizing. There was something about the way that he's flipping these samples that it's frantic and yet super groovy at the same time. And I'm wanting to know the references. And yeah, just I'm totally captivated. The sample here is from a 1973 record by the Brazilian singer Gal Costa called India. And this particular track is called Pantos de Luz. Maybe the first thing you hear when you compare the original to Catronata's light spots is that he's bumping up the tempo. His version of this song is a little bit faster, a little bit brighter. Right. But otherwise, he's really leaving the original pretty unchanged. Hmm. 
It's kind of like you're hanging out in his living room, and he's like, hey, check out this uh, <laughs> classic Brazilian Tropicalia release I just dug up. This kind of obscure, deep cut. Let's just like kind of sink into the couch and listen <laughs> to this together. And you're like, yeah, whoa, this is cool. I've never heard this before. It makes sense because he's famous for his DJing skills as much as he is as a producer. And then you get to this one point in the Gal Costa original where she says these lines in Portuguese that roughly translate to something like, I feel very happy. In fact, I dare say, I feel completely happy. And at that moment, Catronata stops the track. Hmm. He grabs those three lines of lyrics and he starts looping it hmm. in this way that completely catches you off guard, kind of surprises you, and then, like you were saying, just totally sucks you into its world. Oh, and then we get the house beat. Oh, it's so good. This is where Catronata as historian comes into the picture. Hmm. In a way, what he's doing there is he's asking you to pay attention to like, I don't know, what is it? Like three seconds of music from this <laughs> three minute long track. And he's asking you to pay really close attention. Listen really carefully to this. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to put it on a loop, and I'm going to give it to you over and over and over mm. again. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you to just contemplate this little snippet of music in such a deep way. It's like the aural equivalent of standing in front of a painting and, and asking someone to just look deeper at that brushstroke. Don't look at the whole painting for a second. Just look at this one brushstroke. Mm. This is like the DJ equivalent of that. Like, step away from the song and just listen to this little scrap of melody for a second and just sit with that. Pay attention to it. Let it burrow deep into your mind and soul. And I see how here in the music, you take this phrase, even if you don't speak Portuguese, there is something so captivating. It definitely makes you want to go deeper into the song. Look it up, find the references, see what the sample is. Go do the reverse crate digging. Find all of his references. Yeah, that's right, right. So not only is Catronada the historian, but he's enlisting you to become a music historian mm. as well. You've been conscripted <laughs> into the ranks now. And of course, he's not just putting this scrap of melody under the microscope for you. Right. Like you said, he's also adding something. And he's adding this just ridiculously danceable house groove on top mm. of what's already like a very thickly instrumentated section of music. Right. But he's giving you this modern element. He's bringing 1973 and crash landing it into 2016. <laughs> so it's like a bit of history, but like all good historians, he's trying to make that history relevant. Mm. And he's trying to say history repeats itself. What's old is new. This song 
may have resonated with people when it was released in the same way that a modern dance track would strike you today. Hmm. We're bridging that historical gap. It's like the other day you were telling me about how you've been watching all these TikTok videos about Marxist capitalist theory. <laughs> yeah, the Gen Z is really good at them. <laughs> and you don't have the time or inclination to dig into like Marxist theory. You're not going to like read a thousand page book, but you will watch a 30 second TikTok video because it's fun and it's accessible and it's like right in the palm of your hand. You know, we want history to be accessible like that. We want it to be enjoyable. That's what DJs do. Mm. They take music history and they make it fun and pleasurable and they don't make it kind of distant or intimidating. This song brings this obscure 1973 track to life for you, for you to dance to, for you to bathe in, for you to go do your research. It's like, I don't know, it's, to me it's more than just a fun track to listen to. It's mm. like history in action. I love your passion here. <laughs> this is a song that totally connected with me as well. And, you know, obviously there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but lots of people sample, right? It's not like he's the only one doing this. And yet there's a certain way in which the way that he flips his samples where, as you put it earlier, they're like, it's raw. It's really honest to the original material. It's not trying to obscure it. So you're like, oh, I, I, I see the thing that you're doing. And yet still finds a way to make it really compelling for this moment. Mm. And I wanted to talk to him about that and talk to him about how he developed his craft and how over a decade he built a career to the point of the recognition of a Grammy Best New Artist nomination. I am Kate Trinata, all the way from Montreal, Canada. Been making beats since I was a youngin' and now here I am, Best New Artist for the Grammys. It's really crazy and exciting. Let's just go back to the beginning. Take me to the start. What got you into making music? Music was always in me. And I always wanted to make music. It was when I was 14, just like finding out about those softwares online, like Virtual DJ and Tractor. I downloaded the demo Fruity Loops a bunch of times, but I never knew how to work. And it was my little brother who was just like, nah, that's how you do it. That's how you do the drums. That's how you do the, the, the bass. Like he literally taught me everything. And it was kind of deep already when I was like 14 and 15, just finding out about chopping samples and making loops and stuff like that. Where were you? Where was this happening? I was actually at like the suburbs and it's like a city called Saint-Hubert, not too far from Montreal, but it's like nothing going on really. It was really in my mom's basement and like we had a PC that we had to share, the whole family. And then I was making my beats there. What was motivating me was this like small community in YouTube where there's a bunch of producers posting their beats and people were just giving you props like yeah this is dope this is nice so that and my brother was mostly like the motivation of what kept me going was there a moment of significant validation outside of your family and that immediate small community there was the one thing that really popped off it was like this small community when i was like um, 19 and it was just beat makers from Montreal or just suburbs around the city and then we come together in the city to just show off our beats and people were just giving us props and give us encouragement and then that's when you knew that music was more than just music it was like everything that came with it you know in addition to making your own work at this point you're also heavily in DJ culture and also into remixing you're posting remixes to SoundCloud there's a song that really takes off. What is it? How does it happen? All I've got to say is 
post this remix of Janet Jackson, I was really inspired by this Fly Lotus show that I just seen. And that night I made that remix in one night. Posted at 5 a.m. I go to sleep and then it's like 12 p.m. I get notifications off my phone. It's like my SoundCloud going crazy. Just like 100 notifications on SoundCloud. And it was like, what the heck? And I just go back to sleep because I was like a night owl. Those were my night owl days. I would like wake up at 4 p.m. <laughs> and then it's like 4 p.m. You'd see like your page. There's like 2,000 likes on this remix that you posted like today. That was something that was like unimaginable. And then the remix eventually blew up and it got bigger. People were still talking about it, you know. And I waited a little longer for the Teacher Moses one to come out after. See you all around my way. I put it out and that one kind of did twice as much as big as it is, you know? People are still talking about it today and it's like, wow. Like, I just knew I had something. It kept on being like, oh my God, Kate Trinata makes those remixes. So that's where the SoundCloud fame came up with, you know? It sounds like these remixes, especially the Janet Jackson remix of If that you put up in 2012, this is happening spontaneously in my in my my room with my brother you know like still sharing rooms and you talk about it now with a you know a great degree of confidence which is deserved did you know that it was good then i knew it was good but i just didn't know that people would like it i was like if you like it you know that's cool it kind of like crossed over a lot of like genres to me it was like this like whatever hip-hop experimental like r&b thing i'm doing and people saw it as house too like it's like it broke through the house well it broke through like the r&b and hip-hop and you know dance music so it was like whoa <laughs> what what am i actually doing what genre am i actually going for so yeah because sonically it's kind of strange you have a hip-hop 808 bass but you're playing it as if it's like a p-funk style funk bass rather than you know how it might be used in track literally You've got a four-to-the-floor house beat and this kind of like DIY Casio sort of keyboard sound in the background with future bass pumping sounds. Exactly. Like there's no generic continuity, but it works. Yeah, it's like Nintendo, like Super Nintendo synths with like bass, you know, the same way we use as trap. It's like I just use it as like a P-Funk, like you said, kind of like the boogie inspirations. Does the breadth of sounds that you're pulling from at this point reflect what's going on for you as a DJ? Like, is that why you're playing so many different kinds of sounds all mashed together? It's like really just what I'm listening to. I was not really into just one genre of music. So it's really a mixture of genres. But it can be one thing at the same time. It can just be some boogie stuff. But you know that hip-hop, after that, they actually like took stuff from Boogie and made it hip hop, you know? It's really like kind of like a full circle of genres, you know, like all the jazz stuff that I'm influenced about, you know, house, it's really, it really comes from disco. And it's so many of like those things that comes around again, you know? What's, what's old is new. Yeah. yeah. You have these remixes, they seem to pop off bigger than the next. So what happened after your remixes blew up? I've met my manager who booked me for this show in Halifax. And all I asked was like, I need a hotel room and I need $200 and that's it. And I eventually go to Halifax, which was like my first plane trip and my first show outside of the city. 
And then the next day, he was like, do you need help with your management? And I'm like, I don't have a manager right now. Yeah, I kind of need help. He's like, okay, well, let's do this. We all started from like the beginning. And I think in one week, I was in blogs. People were starting to talk about me. I was starting to make noise. I I do this EP. It's called Catra Toto. It's not available on streaming anymore. But I do this EP. And then I go on tour in Europe. And it's like, everything is still keeps on growing from then, from then on. And it's like, I just went to Europe and that really changed my life. Like I was not the same after, you know? A lot of people start taking notice. You go on the road, opening, DJing for Madonna. It seems like lots of opportunities are happening. What pulls you back home to record your first LP? I think the whole time I was working on my first LP, which was 99. It was supposed to be an EP at first. XL heard the EP and they were like, well, this is so good. We need an album. So I was like, cool. You know, I was ready to do an album. I was ready to like just come out with, you know, a body of work. And I was still on tour at the same time while working. And it was really bothering me. But nobody heard those songs. It's like, what are we doing? You know, hmm. like I should go back and finish this record and put it together. And I was kind of burned out. So I was really like, okay, I need to stop touring. And then I just went back home. Home was still in the basement, was still in my mom's basement. Put everything together. And then I think I turned it um, in 2016, like just in January or December 2015. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there is no way that that Israel should be able to participate in Europe. Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation.
let's talk about some of what's going on on 99.9%. There are a lot of extraordinary collaborations here. I think one of the the standout tracks is Glowed Up with Anderson Pot. Yeah. Tell me about first how the beat came together for you. How did this track come together? Uh, I made a beat like around those times, like 2012, before I blew up. And like, I really had a phase where I used to sample like library sounds and just put traps over them, like just trap drums. What do you mean library sounds? You no, know, library music, like the KPM and all those like kind of like music for movies. It's like instrumental music, but yeah. for moods. And then you just put that in like like a movie or something. But it's like those vinyls, like if you check on those records, they are always have amazing samples. And if you, if you check on the sci-fi section, that's where they use the synths or they'll use like, just like crazy, like vintage sounds. Sampling is core to your sound. Mm-hmm. What drives you to produce in this fairly laborious form? I've been on, on hip hop music for a while now. I come from actually like, you know, listening to, to a lot of Jay Dilla, just blaze knife warner all those producers were just like madeline they all just sample a lot of records and they do crazy digging and they just at the same time you discover a lot of music and your knowledge music just expands on a crazy level just by discovering those records just by crate digging and mm-hmm. you know i had a phase where i used to create dig like i have, I have my record collection right here from the beginning, the absolute beginning, like I, I sample and sample. And I mm. just, just mm. learned from my favorite producers, honestly. Mm. So you take this library music, you set it to a beat. How does the collaboration with Anderson happen? Anderson Pack was just coming up. I just sent beats and he had a bunch of demos of like in my songs, which is that's why there's two parts on Glowed Up, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a first half and then sort of two thirds of the way through, there's a sample flip and the whole thing changes up. Tell me about that. I did Glowed Up because it was like, that's like a personal one that I really love. Like, and I just wanted to put down the album and like, of course he wouldn't, he wouldn't finish the song. Of course he wouldn't finish the song. So that's why I put it as an interlude. You said you were sending beats to him. You weren't in the same room working together. Nah, nah. Like, most of the 99.9 was mostly done in my mom's basement. Like, I didn't have any guests recording with me. You're just emailing back and forth. Yeah, at the time it was working because, you know, people used to work remotely and it was like we would end up end up meeting later, later much in life. Well, especially for you as a producer where, you know, you're not you're not putting down vocals. So you're working with a lot of collaborators and there's there's many standout ones. I know another highlight for me is Sid of the Internet on the song You're the One. Yeah. How would you describe the the production? What's going on in that song? <laughs> it's so all over the place to me. Like, 
<laughs> it's like to me, like when I did You're the One, I was just messing around. I had this new um <laughs> sub fatty and then I just really mess with like the bass at the, the size bass. Like you see the bass it really sounds like moogie and nasty. Like it was like it doesn't really make sense to me. Like right now I'm like, wow, I really let that one slide. But people love it, you know? It was really me just messing around. And, you know, I never used MIDI controllers before using You're The One. You know what I'm saying? So I was really all making, like, by drawing stuff on the mouse and stuff like that. Yeah, so you got this super deep funk bass line. Again, we got some sort of house production. Part of what's surprising, though, is that all of your work prior to the song was done clicking things in with a mouse into your software. But your your drums don't sound programmed there's life to them how do you breathe life into drums when it's happening and it's you know just right there on your computer i don't know it's like i'm I'm really obsessed with like not having to sound like this like very computer or quantized so you know i would drag like you know the the hi-hats late and it would like automatically sound like it's not quantized you know i would do the same with the bass you know it's like it's two different swings in one beat when I used to like produce with the mouse. It was a part where things are quantized, like the kick and the snare. And then like, you know, the chords, the hi-hat, cannot forget the hi-hat and then, you know, the bass and everything else has to be like pushed back, like more forward so that it'll give like this kind of like, oh, something is, oh, it's not gonna catch up. Oh, I actually did it. And it's like this swing, like you will feel like to the back of your neck. Even in the process of making this first LP, you're landing some meaningful collaborations, but you're still self-educating. You're learning new ways of making music. Tell me about where do we go from 99.9% to Bubba? How, what, what happens in the in-between from 2016 to 2019? It's not that I wasn't inspired. I was really like constantly making stuff. And I was using Fruity Loops at the time. Like I did the whole dynamics, like... I mixed the whole stuff on Fruity Loops. So it was like, I got this Mac and then Native Instruments, shout outs to Native Instruments for sending me uh, the machine. And that software just looked so beautiful that I was like, I got to use it, you know? I got to learn how to use it. So I was really like on my quest to learn the machine. And I was just making terrible beats for like two or three months like in a row (laughs) really trying to find myself was not really trying to work on the album i was really trying to be this producer Mm. you know and i just couldn't figure out why i was like not the producer i wanted to be Mm. and i was like of course i don't live in la you know i don't live in like the spots where the music industry is happening you know it's like or stuff like that Mm. so that really bothered me and i also moved out of my mom's house as well so it's like all these changes in my life and I was just living life really I was going out partying more and eventually the idea of Bubba came around 2018 in my birthday when teacher Moses sent me a culture
culture was the first beat and then i was like okay an album is coming like sometimes you just know like okay i gotta work on this album i gotta work on an album and then like i kind of sat on it trying to get more people involved i went to la for a couple months to just you know now like i told you 99.9 percent was like this record where i was just collaborating remotely right but now it got to a point where i was like you know i'm i gotta meet the artist i gotta like catch a vibe i want to be the producer i've never been i was still kind of shy so i was just always like never really saying anything but the artist was always doing their thing you know cali Uches and um you know estelle they all did their own thing and i was just like wow i can't really say nothing like now i gotta like <laughs> just watch what you do it was all these like demos coming together and I had enough material and it was like all dance music. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do a dance electronic album, focus on that. You know, the hip hop or all the beat stuff that I was making is going to like wait for a little while. So I just did the electronic and dance album and that's how Bubba came together, really. Let's talk about uh, 10% with Kaliuchis. Yeah. You're out in Los Angeles. This is sort of the first time formally collaborating in a room. You've got some really talented folks. You're feeling a little shy. Yeah. But you get some great material out of this. 10% with Kaliuchis gets some really great play, and it's a really fun track. How does this come together? You know, Kaliuchis, like, we worked on her first mixtape. We go way back. It's like in the beginning of her career, like, I brought her at Coachella to perform because we had this song called Rush, and I really like this song. This is like an amazing song that people should not sleep on. <laughs> but that's like the first song we ever worked together. We always was just friends after that, and then we did 10%. But we've been sitting on 10% for years because it was like 2017. And then it took me like over a year that I had to link, like we worked together again. And then I was like, hmm. hey, you want to add something to that song? It's cool because we all see, I see my evolution and I see hers too. So it's like, it's kind of hmm. kind of nice to see that. I sampled this like drum loop by um, this R&B band called First Choice. Love thing. It's like this classic like really known drum loop in there so i just did like random sense like what i usually do at the time because that's why it sounds really reminiscent to like what i used to do added since and then the years went on by and then i just added a couple stuff like you know strings and those little like plucky scents at the end and just trying to make it like better, you know, make it sound better, make it sound less dated. And, you know, that's what it was. I feel like there's this sort of internet obsession of trying to figure out what is the Catronata sound? What what are what are those sounds that you you sort of identify as a personal sound? Some people like say, yeah, like I'm making a Catronata type beat. And it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> what, what are the things you think about that you care about in terms of representing yourself? The fact that I'm doing how when I do house music, I don't do it quantized. And I just like make that hi-hat super funky. The bass line, people are talking about, oh, Kitron on the bass line, but it's not really my bass line. It's just 808 or just very a subby bass line that you feel like, like, you know, like the same way um, Jay Dilla used it or, you know, Madlib uses. It's like a very subby bass that is just, 
it kind of shakes the trunk of your car, you know? <laughs> so I always use a portamento on the synth. So it's like this, like every time it attacks. So that's what it is. And and there will be like some plucky synths, you know, you add a little plucky synths like in the end, like that's like the classic kitchen. You seem to think very deeply about the sonics of, of the work. You were saying earlier about how in the in-between of these records, you're teaching yourself new tools, you're trying things out. You say there's a bunch of beats that you're making, which you're like, they're not hot beats. And I've read in other interviews that there was a sort of moment of uh, maybe a crisis of confidence of like, wait a minute, why aren't some of the collaborations that I'm wanting to do working out? How do you know when a beat is whack or when it's really working and ready for another artist? Like you feel it in your body, you feel it like... I don't know, it's, maybe it's a hard thing. Like, I just based it on, like, whatever I feel over here in my chest or in my heart. If it makes me happy at another level, that's when I'm like, okay, I feel it now. This is this is great. This is good. But there are some times that it just don't hit right. And you're like, uh, maybe I'm, I shouldn't put this one out. Uh, this is not going to come out. There's sometimes that you feel this way. And some nights that it's like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing shit I ever did. And then <laughs> and then you, you wake up the next day and then you're like, uh Maybe not. I'm not sure. As an instrumental producer, what continues to drive your creative curiosities? What kind of statements are you wanting to make or discover? I just love making music, really. And the fact that I have this gift of making music, like, it's, it, it's amazing. And I, I don't even know how to play keys. And I still manage to create my own production and create my own uh, compositions. That's really, like, fascinating. That's, like, something I should really not take for granted, you know? Like it's something I'm really, I'm really, I'm really happy to have that talent of knowing what's good and what's not in my ears. I guess this is this is really a gift because I can't really comprehend like that. How come I know all these things about music and I really was not consistent with like my piano lessons growing up and, and stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. Many people have noted your music over the last decade. There's been many different stages from remixing to getting signed to XL, your 99.9% record. But with Bubba, you have the Grammys saying, hey, we've got nominations for Best Dance Recording for 10%, Best Dance Electronic Album for the whole album, and also Best New Artist. I'm curious about how this external validation changes things for you. It's amazing, man. It's something that it's like secure. My place is secure in like, <laughs> I don't know. It definitely gives you like a secure feeling that your stuff is dope officially. Like, you know, the Grammys have like have their controversies, but it's still dope to be recognized. It's really amazing. It's something that is really historical, whether you like it or not. It's amazing, especially coming from where I come from. It's like I, I'm, I'm always speechless when I talk about like me being nominated because it's it still feels a little weird, you know? I can't really wrap my head around the fact that I'm just making stuff here where I'm actually sitting at. Yeah, you're no longer in your mom's basement, but you're nearby. Yeah, uh, I even come back spot. to my mom's basement and make beats sometimes, you know, just because <laughs> I'm bored sometimes. But I'm just making beats and I just compile records to make albums. And then I get recognized from that. It's really amazing. It's really great. What's next for you? Just last week, I was like, you know what? I'm going to work on a new album. There's a lot of crazy things that, that's, that is happening in my life. And I could use a lot of that in like writing. Because I've been writing a lot of lyrics and just mm. me singing demos and stuff like that. 
What's going on and what are you wanting to say? Relationship stuff. Because I know my life is okay outside of this relationship I had. But I know like this would be good lyric content, you know, for the album and stuff like that. So I'm really trying to make like, you know, a continuation of whatever I'm at, you know, in, in terms of like life and my evolution as, as a beat maker. Because I did evolve uh, since Bubba, you know, and it's like... I was really happy that Bubba came out at the time because, like, it was, for me, it was like, yeah, this is who I am, really. This is really the evolution, you know? Hmm. Now it's like I've evolved again even more. Like, I think it's like an everyday thing. So I just want the people to hear that sooner or later, you know? Beautiful stuff. It's been really a joy getting to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's been great. Thank you. Switched on Pop is produced by Bridget Armstrong, Nate Sloan, and me, Charlie Harding. We are illustrated by Iris Gottlieb and social media by Abby Barr. Engineering by Brandon McFarland and this week by Bill Lance. Our executive producers are Nishat Karwa and Hannah Rosen. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. You can find more episodes of our show on the Apple Podcast app on Spotify or literally anywhere you get podcasts. Also, tell us what you're listening to. Tell us your burning music questions at switched on pop on twitter and instagram we love talking to you and many of our best ideas come from our listeners so hit us up join us again next week on tuesday and until then thanks, thanks for, listening. for listening